want to start off this morning by asking you a question. If you were to describe your life as some kind of punctuation mark, what would it be? For example, all of us have lives that are filled with question marks at times. What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? How much does it cost? And so we all need information to handle our decisions and our responsibilities in our daily life. But for many of us, a question mark is the defining feature of our lives. Why did this terrible thing happen to me? How am I going to get through this? Where do I go next? And so we find that our lives can be dominated by a question mark of uncertainty or anxiety. If only I could get an answer to this question, then I might have some sense of control in my life. For some of us, it's like, wow, you pack a lot of stuff into the sentence of your life. But if you're not careful, the defining mark of your life could be a comma. What I mean is you might become known as the person who's always moving on to the next thing, focused on the next acquisition or vacation playing the next game or watching the next show, all focused on the next item on my to-do list or on my bucket list, focused on the next rung of the ladder of my career. Now, we all have stuff that needs our attention, but we don't want to be remembered as that person who is so busy and so self-absorbed that we only connect with other people in the brief pauses, in the commas of our run-on sentence lives. And then, for some of us, our lives are punctuated with a period, a full stop. Now, it's important for us to regularly rest and reflect and enjoy life, but it's tragic when our lives are brought to a complete halt that perhaps you've experienced something so painful in your past that you're never able to move forward. There's this immovable period that marks the page of your life. I've met younger people, people and older people who are imprisoned by the pains of their past, that what lays behind me defines me. And so I'm never able to truly write a new sentence since then. I'm never able to see that God is not yet done writing my story. So I wonder what the people closest to you would say is the punctuation mark of your life. The uncertainty of a question mark, the distractions of a constant comma, 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 or the paralysis of a period. Now, we experience all three of these things throughout our lives, but when they take over, when they take control of our lives, it reveals that our lives might be written in the story of discontent. Why, God? What is going to happen to me next? Or... I can't seem to fill the emptiness of my soul, so I keep going and going and going. Or, I lost the life I used to have, that I should have had, and now it's over. Period. It's easy to be trapped in these places of discontent. When, especially in our world today where there's a chorus of anxiety and busyness and emptiness everywhere that we look. And so there are many times that we're haunted by a past that's gone wrong, or a present that's impossible to fix, or a future that may never be the same again. And that is why it's so important for followers of Jesus to choose purposefully, even 
painstakingly to punctuate the story of our lives with the exclamation point of thanksgiving. And this is a practice that's been handed down to us throughout biblical history. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Israel, you know how much of their lives were filled with the same punctuation marks as ours. They suffered more than enough oppression and loss to have plenty of question marks. They journeyed on and on through the wilderness, their lives commod by the relentless series of battles and breakdowns that they faced again and again and again. And there were times when they came to a full stop against the seas or against a mountain that seemed uncrossable or against a fortress or a foe that seemed unbeatable. And so their lives were punctuated with seasons of deep discontent and despair. But there is one saving grace that kept their hopes alive. Time and again, we see them pause on their path. They'll stop for a moment, purposefully raise their eyes to heaven, and then give thanks to God. And so we'll see here this morning in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we get a picture of such an exclamation point in the life of Israel. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn there to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 in the Old Testament. Now, at this point in history, the controversial reign of King Saul is over. And a young warrior named David comes onto the scene and he's been elected by prophetic designation and popular acclamation to be the next king. And so he's led the armies of Israel against the Philistines again and again and again. And now at this point, they've captured the ancient Acropolis, the city of Jerusalem, the crown jewel of Canaan up on, this, um, up on the hills. And so they pause between the busyness and the battles that they've been experiencing, not only to catch their collected breath, but to mark this moment with an exclamation point. So what happens is David orders the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what that is, that's this large box that contains the stone tablets of God's law, those two stone tablets. It contains Aaron's priestly staff and this cup of manna of bread that that God gave to the Israelites from heaven while they were wandering throughout the wilderness. And this Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of their relationship, the covenant relationship between Israel and God. And so atop this box was a mercy seat that would manifest the very presence of the living God, that he was with them. And so David orders this Ark of the Covenant to be brought up to the new capital city, up the hill, up to the mountain, so that they can worship and celebrate the Lord. And as David leads this procession into the city, he's literally dancing with joy in front of the Ark as it's carried in. So let's pick up the story there in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. And they brought in the ark, of the, uh, the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then... He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. So let's stop right there for a moment. As the nation of Israel gathers together in celebration, 
It's not just to celebrate their new victory or their new king or their new capital city. But we see here in verses 1 through 3 that the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, is being placed into a new tabernacle tent, a new center of worship and life for the nation, right in the midst of their political capital. And so the priests, the, the people who serve the Lord, they made these burnt offerings. And the burnt offerings are for the sins of the people. And then they also gave a peace offering to God. And that's a symbol of having peace with God by enjoying a meal with God as a way of giving thanks to God. And so that's why David blesses the people by distributing a meal to every person and every family that just as some of you these past few weeks have distributed food to our neighbors in Hayward so that they can enjoy a meal together and give thanks to God. That's what a peace offering is for, giving thanks for the peace we have with God. Then David appoints some Levitical priests, some men from the tribe of Levi to serve as priests to be worship leaders. And their job in verse 4 is to invoke, to give thanks, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, it says. In other words, verse 4 is saying that some of them were lifting up all the prayer requests of the people. Some of them were to list all the reasons that they can think of to be thankful to God. And then the rest of them made music with I don't know, guitars and keyboards and drums or whatever the ancient Near East equivalent of their musical instruments might be. And so what you see happening here is this is a Thanksgiving worship service. And did you know at this very first Thanksgiving in Jerusalem that David gave to the world this very famous psalm with this now famous line that you see in verse 34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so the big idea of the passage this morning is that just like the Israelites, whatever troubles you and I are facing, that we overcome life's punctuation marks of discontent with the biblical practice of thanksgiving. What we mean is, you see, these exclamation points are ingrained into the story of Israel. From the time that they first fled slavery and death in Egypt, they learned to stop along their journey to give thanks to God. In many places, you'll see that they would pile up these stones, these memorial stones, into big piles to mark where they particularly were conscious of God's blessing given to them. And so they would bring special offerings. They would bring special sacrifices as a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for your protection, for your provision, for your presence in our lives. Now, as we talk about this, though, you should be saying, well, what about those times, though, when I don't feel like I have much to be thankful for? What about those times when I can't see God and his goodness in my life? Verse 7. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Let's stop there for a moment. So David penned this psalm for people to gather together and sing together to give thanks to their mighty God by, it says in verse 7, making, or verse 8, making known his deeds amongst the peoples. That means that in order to give thanks, we're meant to gather together and speak aloud to one another what God has done for us. And so you might remember in Israel's history that they struggled 
through years of external oppression and internal division. And you'll see later in chapter 18 that there's still more wars for them to fight. So before, there's a lot of challenges. And then in the future, there's more challenges for them to face. And it would be easy for them to focus on the overwhelming challenges and needs of life and to lose sight of if God is good or whether God is present. But what thankfulness does is thankfulness plucks the rubble from our eyes so that you and I can see God clearly. And so by proclaiming the faithfulness of yesterday helps us to see beyond the circumstances of today to give us hope for tomorrow. And what we see in this passage is that giving thanks isn't generic. We don't just say thank you for the weather, thanks for the day, thanks for our friends. That there's something powerful that happens as you and I recount to one another specifically what God has done for us. It's this ongoing practice of beating back doubt and despair of yesterday's periods, of today's commas, and tomorrow's questions. So, for example, as we celebrated our socially distant Thanksgiving celebrations, each in our own homes and with our uh, small social bubbles, I would guess, I was having a conversation last night with my son, my son Indy. He's seven years old, and to be honest, he was struggling a little bit as we were praying before his bedtime. He was sharing with me, Dad, uh, like when I asked him about how he felt about Thanksgiving this year, that it was kind of disappointing that he can't go to Ahmad's house. He's used to going to uh, his grandmother's house where all of his uncles and aunts and all of his cousins gather together for this madhouse of Thanksgiving celebration. But this year, I can't go to Ahmad's house. I can't go to church and play with friends. I can't go to school, but he wasn't really super disappointed about that. But in his mind, when he looks at this year and thinking about Thanksgiving, all he can see is the disappointments. And so we continued having a conversation, kind of reminding each other, do you remember that when church closed, that God provided a way, that the very week that we couldn't have people gather together and be a family in Christ together, that God still provided a way that week for us to be able to worship together online, that when his school closed, that God still provided a way for him to be able to learn and still see some of his school friends online, that even though being stuck at home is difficult, and sometimes it's hard being around each other all the time, and we bicker a lot, and sometimes a lot of our personal ugliness comes to the surface, and yet God has been humbling daddy at least, and teaching me a little bit about my weaknesses and how to be a better husband or a better father, even in my moments of weaknesses. And even though things have been hard, that these memories that we have of having time together are precious. We reminded him that, you know, even though we can't knock on people's doors to do outreach as a church anymore, yet God has opened the door for us to provide mobile Wi-Fi spots for our school, groceries for our neighbors, a drive through Halloween, for our community. And so <clears throat> we continued sharing all the things that God has continued doing. His eyes start to light up a little bit and his prayers started to change as he could see specifically, tangibly, and clearly that God is here the whole time, that he's been so good to us. So King David, he established this tradition to carry on not only as a nation and the capital city, but in the homes of God's people as leaders of their families would stand in their homes and recite in detail 
the record of God's provision and his providence over their long history as a nation, which is what we see happening in verses 8 through 34. That they would gather the tribes together and hold a feast where God is the honored guest and everyone around their table would exclaim, would make exclamation points about how good and how glorious God is. And what it does is it both exalts God, but it also recenters our perspective. It reminds us that as hard as life can be, that they're richly blessed. And they'd remember that they'd gotten this far on life's journey, not by their own genius or their own merit or their own effort, but by the unearned grace of God, the favor of God poured out on them. And then as they shouted these exclamations of thanksgiving, they would receive clarity again that God is profoundly active along their journey. So that for the road ahead, no matter how bumpy, no matter how many challenges, that they have every reason to believe if we will continue to trust in him, that we would experience his faithfulness again ahead of us. So I want you to think about where does our tradition of Thanksgiving come from? That we celebrated as a nation this past week. Now, you might remember the settlers, the In Plymouth, they practiced this pattern from the example of the ancient Israelites. You might know the story that they fled persecution in England. 102 pilgrims spent 66 days crossing the rough seas of the Atlantic. And when they arrived here on the shores of North America, they faced horrific challenges. Over half of the group died from exposure, from malnutrition, from disease, that first brutal winter. It raised serious question marks about God's providence. Those who survived found their lives filled with commas as they rapidly moved from one problem to the next problem. We need to build better shelters for next winter. We need to scrounge enough food to eat. We need to cultivate the land. It's exhausting. Some of them gave up hope, period. Even some of them, even boarding a ship, starting to leave to return to England. But that spring, by the sovereignty of God, they were surprised by a Native American who spoke English to them. This man named Squanto had been kidnapped and enslaved and was uh, sent over to Spain as a slave. He escaped to England and was able to return with an exploratory expedition. Now, this Native American man, he could have been, he should have been rightfully bitter. But instead, by the grace of God, he showed compassion. He taught these colonists how to cultivate corn, how to catch fish, how to avoid certain poisonous plants. And he helped them to forge an alliance with the Wampanoag tribe that actually endured for over 50 years a peace between these these pilgrims and the Native American tribe that was nearby. By the grace of God, they persevered. And so as this second winter crept in, after their first successful harvest of corn, Governor Will Bradford proclaimed in November of 1621 that they should cease their striving, gather together as a community, invite their native neighbors, and raise an exclamation point of thanksgiving to God in a festival that lasted over three days. It's been about 400 years since that day in Plymouth. More than 3,000 years since that day 
in Jerusalem. But the capacity of God's people to handle the uncertainty of questions with courage and with wisdom, the unrelenting demands between the commas of life, the inevitable periods when our hope seems finished, still flows from our relationship with Jesus today. And so I want to ask you, how are you punctuating your life today? The Israelites gathered to celebrate God's victory and his king and his capital, this new center of life and worship where the presence of God would dwell with them through the Ark of the Covenant. And we continue that tradition as we give thanks, celebrating God's victory over sin and suffering and Satan and death through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we place our hope, our trust, and our lives into his hands, we come to recognize that he is our our true king, our ultimate king that we're celebrating, that he brings a new kingdom, that he draws us into the very presence of God through his blood, through his sacrifice, so that we can also worship, enjoy, and experience life forever with the living God. So whatever trials are behind you or before you, Remember to overcome discontent by punctuating your life with the exclamation point of thanksgiving. As we dwell on what God has done for us in Jesus, give thanks. It is the ongoing practice of beating back the darkness, of standing defiantly and joyfully against despair of yesterday's periods, of today's commas, against tomorrow's questions, because we know that he is faithful And so we know where our hope is. If we know the faithfulness of the past, we can trust him for the hope of our futures. And by telling each other what God has specifically done for us, we're plucking the rubble of our circumstances from our eyes so that we can see him much more clearly. And so here's my invitation for you today. I want us to continue with Thanksgiving around the table tonight that perhaps you might bring the word of God to your table and read aloud 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and then go around your table or around your Zoom room this, this evening and share what words come alive for you and why from this passage. And then, now here's the point, share your exclamation points of gratitude to God for what he has done for us, for our gift of life on this remarkable planet, for the people you love and who have loved you, for his resources that bless you, for his word that guides you, for his grace that forgives you, for his mercy that preserves you, for his eternal arms that await you, for whatever comes to mind or pours from your heart today, stop and give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word that during this Thanksgiving season, we don't just shout generic thanks to the, to the void of heaven. We don't just come before you and celebrate our personal gluttony or just a break from life. <coughs> no, instead we give thanks to the great Lord of heaven and earth who loved us enough to send his own son that he might be the sacrifice for our sins, cleansing us and bringing us into peace with you. And so we want to give you a peace offering today 
one where we enjoy a meal with you, one where we give thanks to you, one where we encourage each other by reminding each other of all the things that you have done for us. And as we do so, Lord, may your word and your encouragement remind us again that no matter how big our circumstances may seem, that your hands by far are much bigger, that you are the God of heaven and earth, that you have always been there for us, you are always here with us, that you have always been faithful to us. And so may we proclaim once again that we would give thanks to you, our Lord, for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Amen.